The hammer has dropped on the mighty Thor. We talk Noah Syndergaard being out until 2021 and favorite opening day memories as New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff joins us. We also chat with huge Mets fan and comedian, the great Jim Brewer. All that and a whole lot more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, a New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher and Emmy Award winner, Nelson Figueroa. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars and write a nice review, please, if you're using Apple. Ken Davidoff from the New York Post and comedian Jim Brewer join the show today, so let's get to it. Figgy, we are back here with Amazing But True. Man, life is getting crazier by the day, bro. I mean, every day there's a new, you know, quarantine. There's a new this. This closed down. More people are dying. It's getting more and more serious. And uh, how are you doing amongst all this? Trying to do everything I can to stay sane. And uh, baseball is definitely being missed. I think you can see that. And it's very apparent when people are tuning in to watch simulated games of what the season would look like. Rooting on video games now in a different way. And you were one of the few people has not watched Tiger King yet, and I highly recommend you do, uh, because remember that 20% of people in Oklahoma voted for in the Libertarian Party, Joe Exotic. Anyways, we had big news drop, of course, the day after we did the show last week, so we couldn't talk about it, but you know, we got to focus on it, because this is monster news from the Mets. Noah Syndergaard with a torn UCL. On Thursday, he had successful Tommy John surgery, which was determined essential, by the way. Remember, a lot of people were worried, is this really essential surgery? And obviously, these athletes and rich people are going to get uh, the luxury treatment, but it was determined essential because it was for his career, uh, and he's out for 2020. He's out till probably summer, Figgy, 2021. The timeline is 12 to 14 months, and this is disappointing. I mean, we talk about a guy during a pandemic getting Tommy John surgery. It's like the Mets have been away from the baseball field for over two weeks now, and still they find a way, but obviously it was about he had discomfort a couple weeks ago. They were taking their time with tests and seeing uh, if they could avoid Tommy John. But again, he he's one of these pitchers who never had it. And now it comes and maybe it's a better time because it's a shortened season. But it really hurts uh, the Mets rotation and their depth here for whenever the season starts. Well, it's bad news all the way around. I think for Noah Syndergaard, uh, especially this isn't the exactly what you were hoping for uh, this season or this year, I should say. Everybody keeps thinking, oh, it's just Tommy John. He'll be better than ever for it. Not everybody comes back like Henry Rowan Gardner. Some people actually come back or don't come back if you ask the Mets pitching coach. You know, Hefner was someone who had it twice uh, and it derailed his career. So, you know, I think Mets fans should be on pins and needles. The surgery was a success. That's great, but it's not a success until he's back on the mound throwing 98 to 100 again and being able to command the baseball. Um, you know, so all the well wishes go out to Noah Syndergaard. Uh, it's a long process. I mean, I've seen Billy Wagner do it in eight months. So 
if anybody can do it, Noah Syndergaard, big and strong as he is, wouldn't want him to kind of go max effort. Billy Wagner was kind of at the tail end of his career when he did it. I think he can come back from the surgery and be stronger than ever. It just it's not going to be a velocity thing uh, for him. He's going to really, really learn how to pitch and use all his pitches effectively. And Brody Van Wagenen's thinking to himself, damn it, I could have traded him and got pieces for him. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, Figgy, but you know he's a guy that's always you know in the weight room and he's showing off his guns and as I always say every episode he's dropping thirst traps or he's in his underwear out on one of the backfields he's a guy who's always worked tirelessly to the point where you worry that something like this was going to happen do you factor that in at all this is a guy who's always throwing hard who's who's lifting a lot do you, does that worry you do you think this played a factor in this Kevin Brown was a guy back in the day that used to throw his bullpens at you know, 100% effort with 100% intensity. And um, he just said that that's the way he had to practice. Uh, Noah Syndergaard does everything, you know, to the max of his ability. And some people need to work that way. Some people kind of can focus on the marathon of a major league season because the major league season isn't just from April to, you know, the 1st of October. Hopefully you get to play in the postseason. Hopefully, you know, that there's the all the throws that you add in before the season, the getting ready for spring training, the getting ready during spring training, ramping it up and then getting it fine-tuned for, you know, opening day. Those kinds of things are steps that you have to learn on the way up. When you're a younger player, yeah, you're balls to the walls trying to, you know, show everybody how good you are. But everybody realized this guy was special. Uh, I saw him when I was with the Toronto Blue Jays back in 2012. Uh, in spring training, uh, me and David Williams, former Met, he was the pitching coach at the time. We we're watching him warm up uh, for a, a minor league spring training game. And it was like, is this kid serious? Is, I mean, he's sitting at 96, 97. This is the first day of games down in Florida for the minor league side. And he had a nasty curveball and he threw a change up. Uh, but it was like very impressive from day one. And it always seemed like he just wanted to focus on being the hardest thrower. The difference between the hardest thrower and the best pitcher is a huge, huge difference. And that's what I worry about. That's what I'm talking about. We'll talk more about this with Ken Davidoff coming up. Where do they go from here? Obviously, the, the automatic thought is, all right, DeGrom, Stroman, Matt, Porcello, and you insert Waka into the rotation, which, is remember, is what he wanted. You talked about this caveman mentality he had when he said, I'm a starter. I'm just a starter. Well, guess what? You are a starter now. Unless they pull off a Seth Lugo to the rotation. Now that hurts your bullpen. That hurts the depth of your bullpen. But I think the Mets would probably be a little bit more comfortable knowing what they have in Lugo, making him a starter. But again, it hurts your bullpen. So what do you do, Figgy? My decision is move Walker to the rotation, keep Lugo in the bullpen so you have that depth still in the bullpen and if Waka falters early then you switch it up well I think that's the depth and and the brilliance of what the Mets have for a bullpen but it's all dependent on ifs and health is the biggest if right if you have Dylan Batantis healthy and where he's supposed to slot in towards that back end seventh eighth and ninth inning you have Jamarice Familia Jamarice Familia with a bounce back ability to have a bounce back season you have Edwin Diaz who again you're looking at these guys being able to hold down the fort then a guy like Lugo having to pitch the sixth and seventh every second or third day isn't as important as maybe using Waka for one inning to be that bridge to get to the back end of the bullpen. You know, you still have Justin Wilson. You still have a lot of other arms. You got Gaselman who can really help out there as well. I think for me, uh, more importantly, Lugo, man, if he ever got the chance to be a starter and could be that consistent as he was as a reliever, because he was dominant as a reliever. I, I think 
even analytically, you look all across the board, spin rates of what he's able to do, his fastball. He has uh, uh, two different fastballs, the high fastball at 97 miles an hour. He's got the two-seamer from 92 to 95 that he can move around the strike zone. And this guy knows how to pitch. Again, you're looking at a fifth starter, then Waka would be the answer to just plug right in. And Lugo can help strengthen that bullpen. And if that goes through the first two months of the season, which again would be the middle two months of the season if we get started in late June, July, that's the way that you probably have to go just uh, for the beginning of the season. I would love to see Lugo get his opportunity and it might be next year. Remember, three of these guys are going to be free agents at the end of this year. So that's where I think you have to look at where Lugo fits in in the long run. Yeah, the rotation is going to be weird, Figgy, because DeGrom is the only locked and loaded opening day if, if healthy, God forbid, if anything happened to him, then Mets fans can panic. I don't think this Syndergaard is the reason to give up on the season now if it even happens. Remember, we're talking big ifs because with everything going on with coronavirus, there is still a possibility floating out there and I hate to even say it because it breaks my heart to think of an entire year without baseball but there is still the possibility that there are no games this year uh let's not mention it too much because it, it's it's hurting it's giving me pain and anxiety right now <laughs> to think about but you know Syndergaard wasn't the end-all be-all this is a big prove-it year for him but he was coming off a career worst year he had a 4-2 ADRA he had a couple starts where he got rocked remember he had the 10 run start where Mickey Callaway famously said he battled after the game and I, I think I threw a remote and broke that TV that <laughs> night. Um, so this was a big year for him, but he's not the end-all be-all for the Mets winning. The end-all be-all still Jacob deGrom, and this puts so much more pressure, Figgy, on Marcus Stroman, who is also in a walk year. If they don't play, we may not see him as a Met again because he'll become a free agent. Who knows if the Mets are going to give him 20-plus million a year. He's got to be an ace like he was with Toronto. Steven Matz has to be that reliable lefty. Rick Porcello has to be a walking quality start. He's got to give you six innings, three runs, at the worst four runs, Every time he goes out there and then you, you know, you patch together a Waka and a Lugo, whoever, as a fifth starter. But I don't think Syndergaard is the reason to panic right now if you're Mets fans. Now, the question is, do you replace him? And we'll talk about this with Ken Davidoff. But obviously, everyone looks down the free agent list and it's slim pickings, man. It's Andrew Kashner, it's Marco Estrada, Clayton Richard, Clay Buckholz, all pitchers with over five ERAs last year. And then there's always that one name that floats out. And amidst the coronavirus... If the Don't dark night returned again, Don't it might cure the coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Listen, that's the, the last name on the list. I think that would be able to come back and, and be effective. It's just been very difficult uh, to watch uh, what has happened with Matt Harvey over the past couple seasons. Um, just knowing that how quickly his meteoric rise was and all the promise in the world. And injuries will do that to you. Injuries will do that to you. It's tough to try and change who you were as a pitcher uh, when you're in the big league. You have to kind of fine tune your craft in the minor leagues where there isn't that added pressure of this could be the last time I ever throw a ball on a major league mound because you're giving up the fifth run of the inning. That was something that was happening on the regular with Matt Harvey. And that was something that was it was tough to watch. It was like watching a heavyweight fight where a guy was, you know, two weight classes above where he should be. And no matter how good he started out the fight, you could see it was just not going to be a fair fight each and every time out. And it, it's a shame. I, I don't think that 
uh, reunion is happening anytime soon. Yeah, and especially without the spring training and no time to see what you got in him. I mean, we're seeing him pitch on little league fields that look like they haven't been played on since uh, since the George H. Bush presidency. I mean, these fields are just rotten. And uh, I mean, I guess that's all you can play at with everything shut down. But let's move on to our poll question, which involves opening day. And it's a tradition that both of us love that we'll talk about in a second. But what are some of your favorite opening day memories? Again, you can follow Figgy at Figgy NY and follow me at Jake Brown Radio. Um, we had Dan Carubia tweet in some pictures with Al Light and a picture of Doc Gooden and he said opening day 1964 first game at Shea wrote a chapter on this in Matt Silverman's book 100 things Mets fans should know before they die also 1987 honoring 40 years Jackie Robinson last game at Shea also photo of Doc prior to game six World Series would love to talk about this on your podcast well we talked about it for you Dan but th- those spread over the course of the years then you had uh, Mets mom tweet you a picture of you without facial hair which kind of looks like me right now I look like a fetus because I shaved my beard and uh, I'm a combination <laughs> of a fetus and a boss baby and uh even the boss baby actually has more hair than i do but i shave the beard during this quarantine hope it will grow back by the time we're allowed outside again in may so that's why i wasn't worried but there's a picture of you with i guess her two daughters and then a picture of you with one of her daughters three years ago but she was in college uh you and s and y and what looks like the world's famous duffy's bowling alley yeah, duffy. st lucy um, but opening day, man, for me, it means me and my dad. It's our tradition every year. Would have been our 18th straight Mets home opener. We started the tradition in 2003. 2002, I remember tickets were too hard to get and expensive. We didn't end up going. But 2003, we started. And it was 30 degrees. Mets Cubs, 30 degrees. And it was snowing for part of it. We had a park by the uh, you know, by the World's Fair. I mean, we, we had to take a shuttle to the game. And I'll always remember that was our first one. And from there, we just went every year, whether it was tickets in advance. Uh, a couple years ago, we got lucky and we just got them at the box office a couple hours before the game but it's the one game my dad comes up for and it's our father-son tradition my parents live in south carolina and he'll fly out from wherever he is from wherever he's traveling for work to make this a father-son thing he doesn't really have time or the interest to go like we used to we also when i was a kid would go to 12 13 games a year together when i lived in connecticut but this is the one time especially as i've gotten older that we always try to you know block out the schedule to go you take off work you skip school when when i was in high school or college or whatever it was and you go to this game and it's the green grass it's seeing your friends again everyone's there all your old friends whether it's friends in real life or it's Mets Twitter people that you meet up with and it's the one game where it's renewed hope for a new season it's a fresh record and it's just the hot dogs peanuts all that shave remember the song and you know it was a special for me and my dad and I hope we can make it happen this year and keep it going I want to keep it going until like he's you know in his rocking chair I'd like to keep it going 25 plus years hopefully we're both there to make it that far but yeah for me that's it's a it's a great father-son tradition hopefully you know June or July when whenever the season hopefully starts we could continue it yeah for me you know I look at it through two different lenses for me as a player I have two different kinds of memories my first opening day start as opening day starter happened in double a in Binghamton and I remember being on that in that rotation and there were three guys in that rotation that were on the roster Octavio Dotel being one of them and I'm sitting there and they tab me as the opening day starter and I'm like looking around going wow all this talent all these guys on the roster I wasn't on the roster yet I was a 30th round draft pick and we're in Binghamton New York so I'm getting closer to you know pitching in front of friends and family at home and they were going to drive up they were all excited and I'm pumped about it and we're doing our press conference for you know talking about the season and what our hopes are our hopes are and they say you're the opening day starter and they said how do you feel about that it's an honor I can't wait I'm so excited and then one of the reporters says you do know that it's supposed to be a blizzard on opening day. And then it hit me why I was named the opening day starter. 
It's because I was expendable. I was not the guy on the roster. I was a guy who had pitched in New York weather before. So they were like, okay, he's handled pitching in cold weather before. Everybody else was too valuable. They didn't want to lose anybody opening day. So they said, hey, Figueroa, take the ball. And I did. John Gibbons was my manager. And I was excited to do that. But I laughed afterwards, realizing that I could see exactly why I was being tabbed the opening day starter with such talent. Uh, ahead of me on the uh, roster. Now, going to the big leagues, my favorite opening day was the last day at Shea Stadium, uh, the last opening day at Shea Stadium. Mark Anthony sang the national anthem and goosebumps aren't even close to what you could say. I remember getting introduced, you know, and they go down the line of the players and, you know, do it in alphabetical order. You know, you got, they yell out, you know, Nelson Figueroa, nice ovation. I'm so pumped. Then all of a sudden behind me uh, was a Heilman and I never heard booze so loud on opening day when the guy hasn't done anything yet, but they were booing Heilman pretty, pretty steadily. And that's part of being a New Yorker and a, and a Mets fan, of course. Um, you let them know you never forget. But I remember being on the field at Shea Stadium and just in awe of everything going on and being on the inside looking out for the first time. And that was a very cool experience. And uh, again, Mark Anthony singing that national anthem is something I'll definitely never forget. I actually just picked up a garbage pail from all the vomit I spit on it from you mentioning Aaron Hallman <laughs> and uh, Yadier. Oh, oh, oh Molina. Oh, oh. oh, man, I'm going to throw up. But let's go to a guy that's not going to make us throw up. It's New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff joins us next right here on Amazing But True. And it is New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff making his debut on Amazing But True. Follow him on Twitter at Ken Davidoff and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. What kind of stories are you coming up with when we have no idea when baseball is going to start? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, it's it's kind of a mix. You know, it's a mix. Uh, first of all, I have like a couple stories, like 75% finished uh, you know, that uh, when, when uh, the shutdown hit. So I finished those off. We actually have one in today's uh, newspaper online about Yankees uh, minor league non-roster catcher Eric Kratz. And there'll be a, a, at least one more of that type. And then there's some uh, nostalgia type pieces. I wrote a piece last week about the Mets dominance on opening day. Uh, and then you have some ongoing news, obviously, just with the, the negotiations between the players and the owners. And and we'll see what else uh, comes comes down the pike here. But we definitely have to be creative and we want to create content for our, our customers. Customers. Yeah, it's difficult. And we feel your pain as well here in the podcast world. We figure a lot of people are home, got a lot of time on their hands, just reaching out and wanting to involve the fans more in our content is something that we're desperately trying to do. Looking at the news that's right in front of us, Syndergaard torn UCL, he's done for the year. Was this at all surprising to you? Well, I think it was surprising in the sense that I, I saw him pitch in spring training. He looked pretty good and there were uh, certainly no uh, red flags in that regard. I guess you would say unsurprising, just because I don't. I don't think I'm ever really that surprised when a pitcher has to go undergo Tommy John surgery, and especially a guy like Noah who throws as hard as violently as he does. Uh, sadly, you could say it was sort of inevitable. Yeah, I asked Figgy about this, Ken, and do you worry about you know how hard he throws, and he's always working out without his clothes, and he's showing off, and he's, he's <laughs> lifting on Instagram. I mean, does that part of it worry you now that this happens, and then him when he does come back, he's only going to have a couple 
couple of months to prove himself before he's a free agent. Yeah, it doesn't worry me because I have no no stakes in the game, right? I'm just I'm just uh, reporting on on what's going on. Uh, but I can understand if it would concern uh, the Mets or uh, prospective employers. I guess you're right. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Noah uh, will be a free agent after next year, so we'll see how much uh, time he even gets in next year. Uh, on the flip side, many of guys do just fine after undergoing this procedure and throw just as hard. Uh, and and Noah is quite young and and certainly, as we know, physically fit. Yeah, watching him out there and his mechanics were kind of very simplified. It, you know, and able to create that kind of velocity from such simplified mechanics. He was working with Hefner on changing a few things, and it seemed like he was progressing well. All of a sudden, boom, torn UCL. Now the Mets have to replace him. Where do you think they go? Do they stay within? Or is there someone in the free agent market you think would be a good replacement? No, the free agent market is pretty bare. And uh, look, they the Mets had a very strong top six in their starting pitching pool. Uh, so now that becomes a top five and all the talk about, oh, what are we going to do with Steven Matz and Michael Waka? Is one of them going to be a long reliever? Uh, those those discussions become moot now. Now you have your your clear top five starting pitchers with, uh, with Waka and Matz uh, bringing up the rear. You got Rick Porcello in there. And then uh, Degrom and Stroman, so that's a, a strong top five. I think the concerns, if you're a Mets fan, is is what's beyond that. So you don't look at Lugo as being in consideration at all to be that fifth starter. Oh, I don't see how. I, I think that would be uh, silly. I mean, I, I think his his numbers are pretty clear. If you look as a starter, he was uh, mediocre, uh, you know, and as a reliever, he's dominant. So I certainly uh, appreciate how much more valuable a starting pitcher is than a relief pitcher. Uh, but I, I think the Mets would be, that would not be the best usage of Seth Lugo. And when you talked about those free agent, talking about those guys, slim pickings, we mentioned it kind of laughing when we said it, but the dark night will not arise again here in 2020 <laughs> in Queens. I don't see either side. Uh, well, maybe Matt Harvey only because he's got nothing else, but I, I just can't, you know, I just can't see the Mets doing that and bringing him back into that clubhouse and just everything. I know he's been humbled severely uh, from the last time he was in a Mets clubhouse, but there's a, a lot of history there and, and uh, needless to say, not all of it good. Hey, Ken, what was your favorite opening day moment? Yeah, we wrote about this last week. So for me, it was my first uh, 1988 Yankees twins. I had just turned 17. Uh, few months before that and you know for a long time i i, I must have gotten the, the green light from my parents like they said okay when you're 17 you can go to opening day by yourself with your friends and that's what the uh, four of us did we cut school and uh we my friend scott drove chevy champion i think if that was a car and uh yeah we went and the yankees killed the twins that day the twins were defending world series champs and mike paliarulo hit a three-run homer and dave winfield had the first rbi of the game winfield had just put out a book very critical of george steinbrenner Back in those days, the fans hated George. So Winfield got a big standing ovation and Rick Roden pitched a shutout. So it was a great deal of fun. And as a huge baseball fan, especially as a kid, uh, just to be there you know, for the religious holiday that is opening day, it was still so special and, and remains special in my heart. With the 2020 season, Ken, what do you do? What is your outline? Do you like a 100-game season? Do you like the whole neutral site playoff or World Series idea? Uh, how do you draw it up? Uh, I draw it up as let, let us be fortunate enough to have that decision to make, right? I'm I'm, I'm a pessimist. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if there's no season. I mean, based on the way this this pandemic is is going. Uh, so if we're fortunate enough, let's say in two months, so okay, now we can see a, a clearing here. Uh, we can have a season. Yeah, I'm 
I'm up for absolutely anything. And I think both sides, the the owners and the players have made clear they feel the same way. Uh, Yeah, neutral site playoffs, absolutely. Expanded rosters. If you want to play the Thanksgiving, I'm okay with that. If you want to play to Christmas, I'm okay with that. Although, of course, uh, you know, as Figgy can relate, then you're impacting the 2021 season in terms Mm -hmm. of you do need to give some guys, these guys some downtime. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm up for anything and everything. And I, I think anyone would be. Do you think this allows, I mean, we, we, we laugh about the corpse essentially of Jed Lowry and how he's never out there, <laughs> but do you think this gives the chance of Jed and uh, definitely Cespedes, who Mets fans would love to see, is this their chance to really be there for opening day if it does happen in June or July? I mean, it seems like there would be no excuse at that, this point for at least Cespedes not to be ready by then. Yeah, Cespedes was making progress. You know, he was he was on a track. Uh, so yeah, I do think there's a real chance. Let's say if opening day is August first for Cespedes to be out there. But yeah, Jed Lowry. I mean, to me, he's that's just there's nothing there. You know, I, I we won't even know precisely what the injury is because the Mets are being so secretive about it, and uh, there's just not real clear he's making any progress. Jed Lowry, the mummy returns, coming to City Field soon. <laughs> uh, Ken Davidoff, follow him on Twitter at Ken Davidoff. Read his stories in the Post and NYPost.com. Ken, we'll talk to you throughout the season. Uh, stay safe, stay inside, wash your hands, and uh, best wishes to you and your family. Thanks, same to you guys. And in a time where there aren't a ton of laughs going in our world right now, we need to bring on comedian and rabid Mets fan Jim Brewer joins Jake and Figgy here on Amazing But True. Jim, how you doing, man? Afternoon, gentlemen. I'm not going to lie to you. And I, a little part of me feels guilty saying it. But this has been some of the most peaceful, amazing Jim Brewer time I've had in my life. And I, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone that's suffering, but I have to say I've never been so calm and peaceful in my entire lifetime. It is, it is, it's been really nice. I mean, uh, yesterday I zoomed, we did the Zoom. I wish I invested in Zoom. We, we Zoomed, videotaped our entire family, and now every Wednesday we have plans to do games online with each other. It's been um, pretty freaking awesome. As far as reaching out to people, I've been dying to reach out to you for a long time. So on that front, it's amazing. Besides that, I've been playing imaginary baseball by myself and scenarios in my head for uh, the last month or so. So it's all good. I mean, what are you going to do? Jim, how was that opening day backyard baseball game? Well, here's what I did, Nelson. I took out the old wiffle ball. I had about 50 of them and a wiffle ball bat, and I did spring training. I was signed as a 52-year-old man. I am one of the all-time champions in the world, since I was a kid. And I'll tell you, for the first six games, Jim Brewer in the Brewer Wiffle Ball Imaginary League, I believe I went nine for 17. Seven of those nine were dingers. So I started off really well, and I'm looking forward to challenging all those that want to come to Jim Brewer Wiffle Ball way. When I play in the yard, I announce it. I do everything. I, I came out like, here comes Brewer, 52-year-old man. He has lost 35 pounds, so, so we're not sure how that's going to affect his power this year. This is his first at-bat in spring training. It's a beautiful day here in New Jersey, suburbs backyard. Sun's been shining all morning, and there's his first shot. Oh, my! That's a line drive! Right center field! And that one's never coming back! What a way to start the year! What a way to start a beautiful afternoon! Jim Brewer clearly still has it. Clearly, his weight has not affected his power. Yeah, Bob, you know, 
it's his mechanics. He's been working with this guy named uh, Help, and um, he's really showed him some of the. He knows how to hold the bat correctly now, and, and good things may come from Brewers. So we're excited to see. Him. But can he still pitch? That is another thing. We'll just have to wait and see. You're a guy who's always on the road, Jim. You're always traveling, whether it's your comedy or you're on with Metallica. So this has to be weird for you. It must be weird for your family seeing you nonstop every day. Have they got sick of you or are you guys having a great time? Are you cooking? What's the deal? I am cooking. We've been cooking as a family like every other day. Like I say, you know, yesterday was, hey, what do you guys want to make? And my youngest one said, I want to make chili. I said, have you ever made chili? She went, no. I said, well, look it up and let's find out what you want to make and let's, let's go for it. It was good. We've been, we, we've been really good. We know when our space is too intense. We know when to keep away from each other. And, and that's another thing. I've li- I have three daughters. I've never seen them get along so much in my entire lifetime. It's, it's bizarre. I thought this was going to be a disaster to the point where I can honestly say, I know this will come to an end, but I don't want things to go back to the way they were, meaning everyone runs to school all the time, running to work, blah, blah, blah. It's just really refreshing. Jim, we were talking about some of our favorite opening day memories. Can you share some of yours with us? My all, one of my all-time most memorable opening days, I wasn't there. It was 2015 Mets. And the reason why I say that is because of a couple of things. It, there's a lot of layers and meanings here. One was, A, I'm a diehard Mets fan. I'm waiting for, you know, the, the season to start. B, on a, and here's just a lesson how no matter what dark things are going on in life, there's always light waiting at the end of the tunnel. My wife is going through uh, her second time getting breast cancer, and she's going through chemotherapy. Okay, that's that's the back dark. It's opening day, and the Mets are playing the Nationals. The Nationals just signed Max Scherzer, which I was completely devastated because Max Scherzer is one of my all-time favorite pitchers. I just love him as a competitor, and I love him as a pitcher. I loved him as a Tiger, but now I must hate him as a national and the threat is we're gonna win the world series and harper and now we got max searcher who do the mets have challenged max who's our opening day pitcher big sexy 480 pounds big sexy 48 year old they had to get him out of his wheelchair and he's going up against max searcher max searcher has a no hitter going against the mets a no Hitter, I believe, all the way into the seventh inning. And just like every Mets fan, I'm like, is this, this is, this is how it's got to go down. A no hitter on opening day. This is great. This is, this is great. And they break the no hitter and they take the lead. And big sexy's going toe to toe. I think he gave up maybe one, maybe two hits. I can't remember. Now the game is almost over and clearly the Mets are about to win it. And I start being the way I am. I'm yelling at the screen, big, bad nationals with their Mets. Danger and your $400 billion contract. How does it feel to get beaten and taken down by an old man? You suck. You suck. And I turn around, and when my wife, who can barely have any energy to smile from the chemo, is laughing, and she's going, she's pointing her finger to Kamir. Right? And I said, what? What? 
And she goes, this is what you should videotape after every game. And I went, oh my God. She goes, don't, don't try to be funny. Just be this lunatic that you're being right now. And I made a video reaction after that game. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm, I was not, I didn't know anything about social media and I was totally anti against it. I'm an old man. Like I'm, I'm already past this nonsense. And I posted the video and she said, you got to do this every game. I said, D, do you realize there's 162 games? I'm not doing this every single game. That's stupid. It's lunacy. It's ludicrous. Because you have to. And I went, I'll maybe a Met Yankee game. Maybe. No, I'm not doing it. That night, post the video. And uh, later in the night, someone goes, hey, man, you know, the Mets have you on their website on SNY. What? The video made? Now, they edited a little bit because there was a couple, you know, they took out you suck or whatever they took out. And I went, you're kidding me. So now I started doing every game. And the next, the Mets went two and three. They started off the season two and three. And I remember this is going to be tough making videos. Uh, you know, I, you know what? I'm going to quit doing this soon. I know my mom, I know my wife had good intentions, but it was a stupid idea. I'm on the road making videos. I'm watching on my iPad in between shows and all that. And then they go on an 11 game winning streak. And I think by the sixth game, they came up with the phrase, Oh, uh, this city's the cleanest city in the world because it just got swept. And the next thing you know, MLB is knocking on the door. And it's, it's the, the radio is talking about it. And all these, everyone's talking about it. But that year, I did every single game. I did a recap. And it, it was unbelievable, the reaction that happened to it. And the unity of Mets fans. And I didn't understand the power of the internet until... I was in Colorado, and the Mets had a chance to clinch playoff first, clinch the NL East. And I made a video that day, and I went, oh, God, okay, I'm going to make this video, and I'm going to say, I'm going to invite Met fans, if there's any out here in Denver, to come meet me at Buffalo Wings and things, because they were the, oh, I called around, they were the only ones that were going to show the Mets game. Like, oh, we don't have that. You can come to us, the Buffalo so I made a video. I said, hey, I'm out here in Denver. I'm going to Buffalo Wings and Things at uh, 1 o'clock if anyone wants to see the Mets game with me. And I said, don't post it. Post it. Don't post it. Post it. I hit post. And I'm driving there going, oh, God, it's going to be so weird if no matter what, I've got to post this video after and I'm with nobody. This was, I walked into that place. And there was at least a hundred people with Met shirts on. I walked in, they cheered. I, I almost, I just, to this day, I think of that moment. And what blew me away more than anything else, this wasn't Jim Brewer fans. They were Mets fans. And I just started talking with everybody. And that's when I realized, oh my God, this is such an amazing thing. And that year, really, I mean, I've always been a diehard Mets fan, always am going to be a diehard Mets fan. But that opening game of 2015 changed life on so many levels. To we, we joined as a family to watch the Mets that year. even And just because my wife was going through such a struggle, and because of that struggle, all this beauty came from it. And I mean, that's a deeper underlining thing and the deep connection of me and my family with the Mets. And so that 
I have to say, is the most memorable. Listen, I, I'm one of those people who began following you intently after that. We met actually a short while after that for the first time over with Maggie Gray when she was doing CBS in the same building as SNY. And we met for the first time and hooked up and we've been friends ever since. Then we took it to another level when we got to play, uh, or you got to play, I should say, Fantasy Camp. And playing in Fantasy Camp, getting to see Jim Brewer, actually putting his money where his mouth is and going through the rigors of baseball and going through the rigors of trying to throw that complete game shutout and get through the sixth inning. Watching this man train where he's come from in this humble beginnings in 2015 to where he is now, it's been a long way. And so it's been fun to watch that. And, and again, your love of the Mets is what's uh, the passion that I see in a day in and day out basis at Fantasy Camp has been something that's been inspiring as well. Oh, thanks, man. And I, and I gotta say, like, I, since I was, I, I was diehard Mets since I was five years old, since 1973. It was Wayne Garrett. I loved Wayne Garrett. I loved Jerry Groening. I loved Seaver. I loved Koonsman and Tug McGraw, Cleon Jones. I still say hammer. I call people, what's up, hammer? And the hammer came from John Milner. John Milner, the hammer. Ed Cranepool. There were so many. It's just amazing that I followed it for so long through the good, through the bad. And, and you're right. I, I also, from going to fantasy camp, learned so much respect from for a ball player. Training. I start training around June so I can play <laughs> one week of baseball. <laughs> one week. And... I'll give you two things that I learned about baseball. You know, people get pissed when they get hurt and all that jazz. Last year, I wasn't able to train well because I was touring with Metallica. So a lot of my time was Metallica. But I thought, ah, I still got my skills and I was still fine. The year before, I was an animal. Great hitting at the good pitching. But last year at Metallica, I'm partying. I'm eating more. I'm drinking more. I'm partying more. I'm eating more. I'm drinking more. I got my week in Metallica. I think it was my first game. I don't know who the hell was pitching on the other team, but I think he had to be in his 70s. <laughs> throwing the ball maybe 30 miles an hour. And I swung so far ahead, I think I pulled my hip out. And it's like six weeks of waiting for this in the first pitch of the first day. Like, oh! Oh my God. Oh my God. And so I can only imagine how a professional ball player is training for so long to get to where they're going, knowing they have all this competition waiting in the background to take their spot. And then they're mm -hmm. done for the season or they're out for six weeks. Because for me, I just, oh, well, I got to wait till next year. For them, it could be career, it could mm -hmm. be their life. It could be so many levels. That's one thing I learned. Hey, Jim, I got some quick questions for you. Rapid fire questions. Uh, you're yeah. a huge baseball fan. We're going to start out with a kind of easy one. How many seams yeah. does a baseball have? A lot. <laughs> I, I didn't Close. know the answer. I don't know the answer to this either, to be honest. So I think it's uh, no 100 clue. something. No, 110. Ooh, very close. 108. I'll give you a little credit for that one. Mets last playoff appearance. 2017. <laughs> 16. 16. Game against yeah. San Francisco. Yes, yes. Noah Syndergaard lost the bungs on it. Go ahead. Who had the Mets last hit last season? Oh, wow. Give, uh, me, give you a clue. It was in walk-off fashion. Really? God, I tapped out towards the end. I'm going to say, oh, I don't know, J.D. Davis. Dom Smith. Dom Smith. He pinch hit for Pete Alonso in that extra inning oh, game. Yes. The game that would never end. The walk-off to the end the season. The game that they kept going on and on and on. Uh -huh. That big, long 
long I tap out once they're once they're out of the playoffs. I'm like, all right, now I'm just watching, see it's gonna be good. Yeah. Who has the record for most opening day starts for the Mets? Could it be Seaver? It is Seaver. Seaver with eleven. He's tied with six wins with what other Mets pitcher? Wow. Uh white with the Mets that long? That's I'm uh, I know I'm gonna be wrong here, three, but I'm gonna say good. Two. Good. It is good. good. It is good, and they're tied with six. And last question, but not least, David Wright, most appearances to third baseman for opening day, 12 straight years. Who was the opening day third baseman before David Wright? And who was the opening day third baseman after David Wright? Before was, I don't remember his name, but I want to say he, he was traded. Was it Turner? Nope, 2004. No, no. I'll, I'll give you a clue. Uh, getting jiggy. Edgardo Alfonso. Nope, getting jiggy with it. Does that help? Jiggy with it. Something get some something no. that rhymes with Jiggy Wiggy Ty Wigginton. <laughs> That's who I was trying to think of. That's who you were thinking of. And then I, 2017. Like a football player, it's a big dude. He was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sir. Trying to, traded, and he got traded. Traded him in yeah. the Chris Benson deal that brought Chris Benson and his wife here to, uh, to New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And then who replaced David Wright and is, broke the streak of 12 straight years in 2017? This this is a tough one. You'd have to think. He, should, should we give him a clue, Figgy? This is nope. I had trouble. I with think this he'll one. get it. I think he'll get it. Twenty seventeen opening day third baseman. Okay, so fifteen him. Uh, sixteen was him. Right again, huh? Oh, I'll give you a clue because yeah, it's hard. He was with the Mets for a while, but you wouldn't think of him as a third baseman. He's an older guy. I'm gonna get this. I know I'm gonna get it. He spent I'm, more time at shortstop than he did at third base. Oh, Cabrera. Uh, Jose, Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes, yeah. Surprising, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's good trivia, huh? That is really good trivia. And, you know, I find myself, too, having a hard time remembering a lot of the Piazza years, meaning, like, if you asked me that 2000 World Series, I probably wouldn't be able to name half the team. I'll do it right now. Here we go. All right, so catcher Piazza, backup Todd Pratt. First base, Todd Zeal. Second base uh, was Fonzie. No, third third base, Ventura. Second base, Fonzie. Shortstop was Ordonius. He got hurt. They traded for Mike Bordick before the trade deadline. He was the shortstop. Backup shortstop, which a lot of people don't know, was Jorge Volandia. He was, like, the 25th guy on the roster. Outfield, right field, Derek Bell broke his leg I think in the first round of the playoffs center field Jay Payton left field uh was Agbayani right Agbayani Agbayani and it was Timo Perez mm -hmm. also in center uh and, mm -hmm. and Daryl Hamilton rest in peace was yeah. also in the outfield Darryl. so he was such go. a sweet guy Wow, and that listen, team had no right. Well, listen team. to <laughs> listen to the starting five. It was Mike Hampton, who they gave like a hundred million dollar deal. Bobby Jones, yep. um, Rick Reed, Al Leiter, and Rick Glendon Reed. Rush, and Glendon Rush. Glendon Rush. Glendon Rush. Rick Reed. He was like the blue collar. Everyone against him because he wasn't with the union or so. He's a scrub mm -hmm. or whatever he called yep, him. Wow, that was <laughs> scab. That's what he. Damn. That was a ragtag roster uh, back then. Hey, that's why that's why you say, you know what? This could be our year. This could be our year. You did it with less back in 2000. Got all the way to the World Series. So for the Mets, you always got to keep hope alive. If they right? do play, do you like the Mets' chances? Do you like the roster even with Syndergaard going down? Do you think they got a shot? Before Syndergaard went down, this is the best I've ever felt in an extremely long time about the Mets' chances i mean the best in a very long time realistically with the with what they have i like their core team i like how they get along they seem like they're a tight group even without 
Syndergaard, no matter what you say about Noah or what your criticism or he still gets, they win a lot when he's on the mound. I still feel good. I feel like Porcello is a really big piece. He's a bigger piece than people anticipate. That's just me. I don't know for a fact, but I just get good feelings with him on the net. And, and I love their lineup. I feel real good about them. Jim Brewer, follow him on Twitter at Jim Brewer. Check out the Jim Brewer podcast. So when you're not listening listening to Amazing But True, uh, they can listen to you and, and keep themselves entertained. Jim, appreciate you. you you're our 2000 Lenny Harris, our pinch hitter, who is, who is the greatest of all time. So we appreciate you uh, stepping in and coming on today. No worries, man. Whenever you need a Lenny, I'll always be here for you guys. All the best. Appreciate it, brother. Thank, thank you so much. Have a good one. And that puts a wrap on episode four of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, for producing the show from your Tesla. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Using Apple, rate us five stars and write a nice review. For my co-host, Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. Stay safe, stay inside, and wash your damn hands. We'll talk to you all next Monday.